Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. I'm always curious to see how we come in after Easter. Because on the other side of Easter, we get all jacked up, right? And we're excited. And, and, and I know this. Y'all know Jesus is still alive, right? Come on. And man, on the other side of Easter, amazing things can happen. And we live on the other side of Easter. But as you dive into Scripture and you see what unfolds on the other side of Easter, it's amazing. Because Jesus does some really cool things on the other side of the empty tomb. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus didn't come back to life for a day. He spent some time continuing to show himself to those who would be the first to follow. And what it led to was a lot of courage and confidence to start living out that calling of go and make disciples. And after the ascension, a few weeks before this thing really started to move forward, God came through with another promise. See, Jesus made a lot of promises about what would happen on the other side of the grave. He did say he would rise, and he did say he would return. But in the meantime, he promised us a resource, and his name is the Holy Spirit. That in that space between when he rose and when he returns, that we would have a resource, the advocate, the Holy Spirit in us. Not no, no longer God above us or God beside us, but God inside us. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit, yeah, if somebody wants to clap for that, that'd be awesome. And the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and it emboldens this man named Peter, who just a few weeks earlier didn't even have the courage to acknowledge Jesus before some strange little girl. And now he steps out on the day of Pentecost before everybody who will listen and he proclaims the gospel. And this little movement that Jesus started that was about 150 people blossoms to over 3,000. And the next thing you know, this thing is steamrolling forward. People are finding Jesus everywhere. And people are going into these cities and towns. And they're not telling people they're evil and going to hell. They're going in and saying, Jesus was dead. Now he's alive. He is everything he said he was. He changed everything for everyone. And you should put your faith and hope and trust in him, and this thing just starts going like wildfire. And there's a group of people that get really freaked out about this. And there comes this point where one day there's this man named Stephen who found Jesus, put his hope in Jesus, and he steps up and starts saying some really bold things. And for the first time, somebody would lose their life for following Jesus. They literally got so infuriated by the things he said that they stoned him to death. And great persecution broke out in that moment. And if you claimed Jesus, there was a good chance you could lose your life because they thought, you know what, if we start killing people who claim Jesus, we'll snuff this thing out. It won't go very far, but you cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. It cannot be stopped. It never, not persecution, not famine, not a pandemic. God's church will endure. It will endure. But the day that Stephen was stoned, we get introduced to somebody who's very important in this thing. Go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. There when Stephen was stoned, it says, and Saul approved their killing him. 
And there for the first time, we get introduced to a man named Saul. And Saul became the driving force behind this movement to stomp out the movement that Jesus started. Look at verse three, Acts chapter eight, verse three. It said, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That as passionate as Peter and the apostles were about spreading the gospel and keeping what Jesus started going, Saul was just as passionate about making sure it got stopped. He made it his mission to completely eliminate the church, to wipe Jesus' fingerprint from the planet. That was his goal. And the question is, is why? Why was he so passionate about this? Did he hate God? No, actually, Paul, Paul loved God. That what's crazy is everything that he did, killing Christians, he believed was necessary out of love for God. But he saw Jesus and all that he represented as a threat to everything that he had ever loved and been taught. Paul had grown up in this religious tradition, and he was convinced that it was the way. That the way to honor God, glorify God, to know God, was to walk the rules of religion as best you can. And he had spent his whole life studying it, trying to perfect it, trying to make sure that if this thing was a balance beam, he was in step better than anybody else in the world. That he saw Jesus as a threat to the tradition that he had ever known. And so he believed that he needed to preserve his tradition and eliminate Jesus. That the way to get close to God was tradition without Jesus. Tradition minus Jesus, and that was his goal. And so he went from town to town, from house to house, trying to make sure that he wiped this whole Jesus thing off the planet until one day in this pursuit, he's walking down a road headed to a city called Damascus, and God shows up. Jesus meets him on that road and says, Saul, why are you doing this? That's the MSV, the Matt Smith version. But that's essentially what Jesus says. So, so why are you doing this? Why, why are you so intent on stomping out what I've started? And in that moment, he has this encounter with Jesus that radically changes his life. Because when you have a real encounter, it always leads to radical change. When you have a real encounter with Jesus, it always leads to radical change. Testify somebody, come on. You are not who you used to be. And then, as passionately as he was about stopping the church that Jesus started, he became just as passionate, if not more so, about keeping it moving forward. And he became the mouthpiece of Jesus. He would go into these little towns and cities, and he would find any place he could to start telling people about who Jesus was. The Bible says that he actually would go in and, and, and start proving that Jesus was the Son of God. Because what he ended up discovering is all these things he had read his whole life, all the law, all the prophets, they actually didn't eliminate Jesus, they pointed to him. Did you know that? That all throughout the Old Testament, there are hundreds of places that point to Jesus. There are prophecies about the Messiah that would come, and guess what? Jesus fulfills every single one. I read a study one time that said for one person, 
to fulfill just eight of those was one to the hundred billion billion. It's a number that I don't even know what it is. Some math person might be able to tell me. But it's crazy just to, just to fulfill eight. And Jesus fulfills hundreds that you can be confident that Jesus is who he said he is and was and will always be. It is. And so he starts going into these towns, these villages, these places, telling people about Jesus, using their language and their symbols and their culture and their poetry to point them to Jesus. And he would go in and he would, he would tell these people about Jesus and these churches would be born. And then he would raise up and leaders and then he would go on to the next spot. And he would start telling a new group of people about Jesus. But what began to happen was not long after Paul would leave these areas, people would start to infiltrate the church with their own agenda. I know y'all can't imagine this. People would start to step into the church with their own ideas of what it meant to know and follow Jesus, and they would start messing things up. And did you know, like, most of the New Testament is Paul writing letters to these churches to kind of recalibrate what these crazy people were doing. See, we don't understand how grateful we should be that we live in a time and have our entire lives where we have the full compass of Scripture at our disposal. Because you may not know this, but for the first few centuries of the church, they didn't have this the way that we have it. Some of y'all are like, really? Yeah, there was like four centuries before the, the, the men trusted with this, put this thing together. And so when somebody would infiltrate the church in the early days, they didn't, have, they didn't have this book to say, okay, that dude's saying something that's pretty crazy. Let me see if I can reconcile with that scripture. No, it doesn't do you crazy. So these philosophies and these ideas would come in and Paul would get wind of this. He would hear that things are happening in Corinth. Things are happening in Thessalonica. Things are happening in the little cities in Galatia where he planted a church. And so he starts writing these letters to help counteract these terrible things that are happening. Because what would happen was he would go in and preach the gospel. He would get those people rooted and established in it. And then here would come some jackleg. That's the nicest term I had. <laughs> and start saying, oh, Paul told you that? Well, well what about this? No, 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 it's, it's not, it's, it's also this, and, and this, and this. And Paul was constantly trying to bump up against people that were, and this has happened throughout the entire time of this movement, that people want to take the gospel and either water it down or weigh it down. They either want to water it down or weigh it down. They want to start taking away the essential things to dilute the gospel or weigh it down with the rules of religion with added layers that aren't necessary. And more often than not, it was the watering down. It wasn't the watering down, excuse me. It was the weighing down that frustrated Paul. For centuries, it's been more about people trying to add on unnecessary layers to the gospel than to try to take things away from it. The church has been guilty of it for centuries. And Paul writes this letter to the Galatians that we're going to journey through over the next few weeks. And in, in this letter, he's trying, to, he's trying to recalibrate their minds. He's trying to bring them back to the plain and simple gospel. Because look at me, a church that is centered around and driven by and focused on the plain and simple gospel is a church that will do great things. 
A church that's not caught up with its own preferences and its own desires and its own ideas of things. A church that is centered on, driven by, focused on the plain and simple truth of who Jesus is, is a church that will change the world. First, uh, Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I am shocked that so quickly after I was with you, you're letting people come in and say things to you that you know you didn't hear from me. You're letting people add new layers and weigh down the gospel I gave you and turn it into something that's really just nothing. Y'all with me say amen. Because evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And if we, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody, anybody, the Greek word there means anybody, You're welcome. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That Paul has caught wind that they've let people kind of infiltrate their body and start twisting the gospel shifting it and adding to it things that he didn't give them. And he says, y'all, listen, I'm, I can't believe this is happening already. And then he says, even if an angel falls from the sky and tells you something other than what I told you, don't listen to them. I tell you what, even if we come back and try to tell you something different, if we get lost in this and we let ourselves get dragged into something that isn't true, and we come back and say anything that's contrary to what you've already heard, don't listen. Because the gospel that we gave you is all the gospel you need. I like the 10 o'clock service. Y'all with me? And then look what he does next. He, He tries to convince them or remind them, you can trust the gospel that I gave you. Because I got it from the source. The reason why you can be confident in the gospel I gave you is because of where it came from. Go to verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you, it's not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Christ. Sometimes I don't think we remember how unique it is what Paul got. So many people would find Jesus through a conversation with an apostle. That that apostle would go into a city or a town and begin to unpack who Jesus was. Paul didn't get converted through a conversation with a disciple. He got converted through a confrontation with Jesus himself. Like just let that soak in. He didn't didn't sit in front of Peter, or he didn't sit in front of Thomas or John. Jesus showed up on a road, bam, 
hey, Paul, it's Jesus. And I'm going to give you the pure, plain, and simple gospel. He's trying to say, he's trying to unpack something. Look, guys, the reason why you can believe that what I gave you is the truth is because I got it directly from the source. It didn't come through the filter of somebody else's experience. It didn't come through the agenda of another human. It came straight from Jesus. And I think God was very intentional. He had a special assignment for Paul. And so the way he gave it to him mattered because the way he was gonna distribute it was so meaningful. Y'all with me? This is really good preaching. Like he got it straight from Jesus. And, And that's, he continues to try to unpack this because he's trying to get them to have confidence in what and what they've heard. Verse 13. And to, and to further your confidence, like I'm not gonna hide any from y- thing, anything from y'all, for you have heard of my previous life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to dest- destroy it. Like I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna try to hide my past from you. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. See, like I have this past. I was intent on and dedicated to stomping this thing out. Verse 15, but when God. Anybody got any any but when God stories? I was this, but then God. I was, but then God. but then, y'all got some but God stories? Say amen if you got a but God story. Come on. Who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response, check this out, was not to consult with any human being. When I met Jesus, when Jesus found me on the road, my immediate response wasn't to, to go run to this group of people because God wanted to do something in me to prepare me for what he wanted to do through me. Verse 17, I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. That's Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. So after I met Jesus on that road, I didn't immediately go into this place where somehow what I had been given from Jesus could get twisted and diluted. I let him solidify it in my heart. And then after three years, then I went and met with those guys. Verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, what I am writing is not a lie. Verse 21, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They had only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praise God because of me. He's giving them a window into his journey in an attempt to help them really have confidence that what he gave them, he got directly from the source. And if it comes from the source, you can trust it. It wasn't tainted or warped or diluted by anybody. Like, I got it straight 
from God. But just so you know, then after 14 years, if you move into chapter 2, then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus with me too. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with the esteemed, those esteemed as leaders. I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles because I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running this race in vain. He said, there came a moment when I finally got this opportunity. It had been 14 years, and I stood before these people who saw it, who got it firsthand, and I said, here's the gospel that I've been preaching. I didn't learn it from you. Here it is. And I bet they thought, how do you know all this? Jesus How can this man know these details and know these things and know this story so well? Because Jesus gave it to him. And what Jesus gave to me, I gave to you. And look at me, it's enough. The gospel that I gave you is all the gospel that you need. Don't let anybody else come in and try to convince you of something otherwise. And see, what has happened in this place is the same thing that was happening in the book of Acts and the same thing that would happen later and the same thing that would happen in your lifetime. People kept coming in and saying, yeah, you you need a Jesus plus gospel. That as people were, this faith was beginning to grow, there were some people who said, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need this. That where Paul was trying to take tradition before he found Jesus and eliminate Jesus from it. Now he's preaching Jesus, and in these places where he's preached Jesus, there are people coming in saying, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need tradition. That if you're gonna know him and be a part of us, you need Jesus, but you also have to have this too. This started in the very beginning when that debate happened in the book of Acts, y'all remember this? When there was this debate, do you need baptism and circumcision? It's a real thing. Go in the book of Acts. There's this debate of can they, before they're a part of us and truly saved and can be a part of it, they have to be baptized, but yeah, then we have to circumcise. That's why men were like, I'm out. I'm not doing it. But that wasn't the only time that we've always had to fight this Jesus plus gospel. I know we live in a culture of a lot of plus. Y'all got Disney plus and Discovery plus and ESPN plus and all the pluses. But when it comes to your salvation, that's not what's needed. But from the beginning, throughout history, there have been people that have tried to convince, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also got to jump through our hoops. Yeah, you need Jesus, plus you got to jump through our hoops. In the beginning, it was like, yeah, there's this religious hoop that you, you, you want to know him and belong to us. Here's an extra hoop that you got to jump through. I wore my J's today so I could make that jump. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what they were saying. Like, okay, you want to know him and belong to us. Yes, it's Jesus plus this, this hoop that is a part of our culture or what we believe or what, what we think is necessary for you. First it was, yeah, it's, it's baptism and circumcision. And then it was all these other things. And then what happens is it just every generation just kind of creates a new hoop. And the church is really good at them. Come on, somebody, y'all know. Yeah, you wanna be a part of us? That's great. But for, you, you gotta have Jesus and, and you gotta worship in this kind of building with these kind of windows and sing this kind of music and wear these kind of clothes. 
It is a navy suit, red tie, two pieces of butterscotch, right pocket. Some of y'all are like, I know that guy. Some of y'all are like, I was that guy. Thank God I found vintage. There's all these hoops, man. And what's crazy is so many of us, we bought into it, didn't we? And we did it. We thought Jesus, and we kept jumping through the hoops. But then as the years went by, they kept, they kept making new ones, didn't they? They started putting new hoops. And then next thing you know, there's, a, there's another one. And so many of us, finally, we just said, I'm so exhausted from it all. I'm so exhausted from the Jesus plus. I'm so exhausted from trying to jump through every hoop that this church and these people keep coming up with. I'm done. Y'all, this ain't new. This isn't new. This didn't start with the church you grew up in. It didn't start in the 90s or the 80s or even the 50s. Paul's writing to people, and he's saying, I know that there are people now that are coming among you that are saying, you need Jesus plus their hoop, and I'm here to tell you, no, you don't. Now listen to me. Look at me. Do not hear something I'm not saying. When we accept Jesus, things begin to change. Our lives begin to shift and fruit starts coming out. And Paul's going to spend the rest of this book that we're going to walk through explaining that. But what he is saying is if somebody is telling you in order for you to be made right with God and a part of this body that it takes Jesus and their hoop, they are liars. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus plus anything because Jesus plus nothing equals everything but everything minus Jesus equals nothing Paul's trying to say you know what you need it's just Jesus that really plain and simple gospel that I told you from the very beginning that's all you need now, it's going to unleash some awesome things in your life, and your world is going to change in some dramatic ways. But for you to know him and belong to us, you don't need this. He didn't hang on that cross, so you would have to jump through their hoop. He did not hang on that cross so that you would have to jump through their hoop. And I know there's some people in the room that you are incredibly exhausted from all the hoops that you've been told you had to jump through in order to be a part. But Paul made it very, very clear that, hey, when they come in, they start telling you that, hey, for you to be saved, for you to know God, for you to be made righteous, for you to be forgiven of your sins, it's Jesus plus this laundry list of things. That's not what you heard from me. That's not what I told you. I'm gonna spend the rest of this letter unpacking what the true gospel looks like and how it unfolds in your life. But what I want you to know, if you wanna know God, if you wanna be forgiven of your sin, if you wanna be made right with him, Jesus is all you need. And those moments when you feel like Jesus is all you need, remember, you, when Jesus is all you have, you have all you need. You have all you need. And in every gospel, I mean, excuse me, every letter that Paul would write, he would say something to this effect. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. 
through faith. And this is not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. That you cannot earn it. You can, I don't care how many hoops you ever jump through. There's not enough of them or the right one for you to ever jump through a hoop and it land in salvation. Because <laughs> salvation was found on the cross, not the hoop. That when Jesus gave up his life on that cross, the penalty was paid, the debt has been erased. When you look at him and see him and accept him for who he is, he is faithful and he forgives and your transgressions are blotted out and everything that was standing between you and our intimacy with God has been removed. And now you are starting a new life in him and the Holy Spirit's gonna unleash himself in your heart and who you're gonna be is gonna be a powerful force to be reckoned with. It's just Jesus. Bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second. I want you to absorb these words that I'm about to read. It's Colossians chapter two. I'm gonna start with verse six. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Then listen to this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority and in him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, now put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made you alive in Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he has made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Your salvation is not tethered to their expectations. It was found on a cross where Jesus gave up his life so that you could have it. And if anybody has ever told you that for you to be made right with him and belong to his church, that it required extra, I'm sorry. Yeah, when Jesus comes in your life and you accept him and he takes up residence and you go from just seeing him to surrendering to him and dedicated to serve him, things are gonna shift and change. There's gonna be fruit that's seen in your life that's powerful and beautiful. But Jesus is all you need. And I don't know, maybe there's some people in the room that for so long you got that Jesus plus gospel that you just rejected Jesus himself. 
that you had so many hoops dangled in front of you that you just ran from it. You just kept resisting it. And God's looking at you today saying, see, I told you, it was just me all along. I'm here. I'm still waiting for you to make that decision. I'm still calling you into relationship with me. Yeah, I died for you too. I want to take away your sins. I want to live in your life. I want to be Lord of all in you and through you. Or maybe somewhere along the way, you've accepted him, but man, you've been wearing yourself out. Thinking that you got to do all this, thinking that, man, <laughs> that your salvation was dependent on how many times you sat in this room or some other silly thing that you let somebody convince you of at some point. Yeah, God's going to do amazing things and powerful things in your life after you meet him. But right now, you just settle in. Focus just on Jesus for just a second. I thank you for the reminder today of the plain, simple, pure, and powerful gospel that in you and you alone do we find salvation and are made new. And God, we look forward to the relationship we get to have with you knowing that you have paid our debt and made us clean. God, I pray for every exhausted person within the sound of my voice, so tired of feeling and being told that there's so many other hoops they have to jump through in order to know you and be made right with you. And God, I pray that over the next several weeks as we lean into your word, we come to a better understanding than we ever have in our life about what it means to know and live out plain and simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we honor you today and thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.